Today is World Water Day, and there is a conference happening this week with the United Nations, and a few Manitobans are going to be heading there to speak. We talked to a couple of those people today to get their insight on what we can do regarding what is being described as vampiric overconsumption. And on that water consumption front, how much of it is used in the shower or the toilet or the bath or washing dishes? Do you try to conserve water at home or do you just let it fly? And powdered what? We had a fun chat today about food, about drinks that we reluctantly tried. And then how did it turn out? Did we like it or hate it? I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, March 22nd podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and I don't know about you, but yesterday I was feeling a little bit of extra pep in my step, and we got the same sense from our audience. Everybody was in a, seemed like they were in a good mood, and I suspect maybe the, the arrival of spring had something to do with that. Well, winter returned. <laughs> you know, we got a whole 24 hours of spring, and, and now suddenly I just feel like I know it's going to warm up. I get it, but... Um, Seeing that snow this morning, when I looked out the window, I thought, I would rather just crawl back into bed. Thank you. Just enough to tick you off, right? I was driving in and I thought, well, what? I sent you guys a voice to text message that made no sense because I thought, well, now I'm going to be late. Like it was just enough snow where I thought the one lane on 59 was completely covered, drifty too. I thought plows should be out. There was none to be seen. Get to the edge of the city. It's a bit wetter and slicker. And I thought, ugh, thought we just did this. (laughs) <laughs> like, and it doesn't matter how often we read the re- weather in our show. I feel caught off guard. See, and all I f- the time. I feel the exact opposite because we were talking about two to four centimeters yesterday, and in North Caldon, and we got literally a dusting, skiff, a skiff. And so when you said that you were, you know, dealing with what you were dealing with on the highways, where are the plows? I'm like, you got plow worthy snow down where you are because that's certainly not plow worthy. Uh, from Portage and Maine north, that's the only, and to the northeast, that's the only part I can I can speak for. It's plowy, plowy-ish. Plowy-ish. It's plowy-ish. Okay, it's and that's fair. But yeah, and that will have an impact on, I think, people's psyche. And uh, if you washed your car yesterday, like so many people did <laughs> over the weekend, you're going to be a little perturbed, I think. Yep. So let us know though what you're seeing in terms of driving conditions. If there's something that is problematic out there because of the skiff, the dusting of snow, 204-780-6868. We've got the sounds of the game coming up in just over three minutes time. But also today we are going to be discussing something called, uh, something called a United Nations Water Conference. It's at, at 7.05 and we're going to speak to a couple of people, including a student from Brokenhead, Loren. Yeah, so she's an environmental science student and she's in New York this week for this conference where they've put out some really dire warnings on water. And we've heard this before, right? Water's going to become a major issue, is already a major issue for many parts of this planet. But there are some stark quotes in this report that's out this week. It, it calls our vampiric overconsumption and overdevelopment. Vampiric? Vampiric. Like we're just sucking the world dry of water. And and the idea that we are and have turned water into a commodity when it's supposed to be a common good. And how are we going to navigate that in the years ahead? And sure, it's easy to look around Canada and say, oh, well, we've got lots of water, but 
who doesn't? And it's a good chunk of the world. And even in Canada, we know there are many communities that are living in long-term boil water advisories and they don't have access to safe water. So water, water, water is part of the conversation. And how long, how many more days, months, years will folks sound the alarm before people listen? Well, I've thought for a long time, our next war is not to get too dark on this, would be fought over water and fresh water resources because they are so precious. I don't know if we're there yet. Uh, maybe in the conversations uh, today and over the next couple of days, we'll get a better idea. But when you use a word in a context, as you just did, vampiric, that kind of hit home for me. I never heard it referred that way. And I've never, I don't think I've ever heard that used, that word used quite so efficiently. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a bold word choice, and so we're going to learn more about that at seven oh five as to why the situation is being described as vampiric. And then after six thirty, we want to talk. We learned yesterday that inflation slowing down a little bit, but food inflation not so much. And uh, we're going to talk about how you could be losing money by not keeping an eye on your bill. Yeah, I want to know seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Do you check your bill? Every time you leave the store, jump in your car and go over it to see what you were charged or not charged or how that went. Are you watching as they scan items to make sure you're not double scanned or that the wrong item went in? And how often this just happened to me yesterday. I said, no, sorry, that item was on sale. And they said, oh, no problem. And it's a couple bucks. But if that happens every time you're at the till, then you're, you're hundreds of dollars potentially could be lost a year. So, Greg, do you check your bill? I don't. In fact, I have a horrible dad joke uh, that associates with the receipt. I go, well, I'm not planning to bring any of this back because it's groceries. I'm going to use it all. So what do I need the receipt for? And I think I'm watching as they're scanning, but uh, I should probably be more diligent for sure, especially after seeing the report that we're going to share with you in about a half an hour. Canada's inflation rate slowed to 5.2% in February from a year earlier. It's the biggest easing of the cost of living since the early days of the pandemic. But food inflation remains stubbornly high. Mm -hmm. Global's and Gaviola has more on one impactful thing people can do to help take a bite out of the rising cost of food. Overall inflation eased in February, but food prices increased more than 10% year over year. And a new poll by the Agri-Food Analytics Lab suggests Canadians might be leaving money on the table when they shop. If you're walking around the grocery store looking for bargains, it may just be an illusion if you're not checking your receipt as you exit the store. Three quarters of respondents reported the price of an item on their receipt being different from the shelf. More than a third didn't get a daily discount applied. 31% had a cashier scan too many items, 16% had the wrong code applied, and 9% were taxed on a non-taxable item. The fix is simple, check your receipts. But many people we spoke with don't bother. I never felt any need to, to, to check it. Uh, I, I, I think more in a, in a restaurant, we more, might be more inclined to, to check it. As they're scanning, sometimes they scan too much, and then I'll say, you know, something, but not after. I usually don't even take a receipt after. If I am coming for groceries for like a particular discount or, or anything that I'm interested, I will probably check the receipt to see if the discount are applied properly. You may not be aware that most grocers are part of the Retail Council of Canada's Code of Conduct, which states that if there's a mistake on your receipt and you pay the incorrect price for an item, the grocer owes it to you for free if it's under $10. 
to check the receipt, you would need to know what the advertised price is. So, I mean, that's, that's, that could get quite complex. The report doesn't specify which grocery chains make the most mistakes, but researchers say the average person can save $50 to $70 a year by catching errors. In the face of food inflation, which has been at double digits for seven months in a row, every little bit helps. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. It's your money. And I think there are probably people go, ah, 50, 70 bucks a year. Well, that's a big deal. And yet I think a lot of us probably don't check the receipts. I have lately because I'm always mystified as to why the amount is so high because the things are costing so much more. And so I'll think, how did I get to $200? And then I comb through the receipt, but I'm not necessarily looking for mistakes. So I didn't know that there was actually laws around all this, Greg, in terms of what the grocer is required to give back to oh, you. Okay. So that, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Interesting. And we're were you aware of that, Brett, that they have to give you the item for, what was it, for free? Okay, so if the item, and my mother-in-law should do seminars in the community on this. She like, is <laughs> totally up on top of this. So, the, yeah, so it's the Retail Council of Canada. It's their code of conduct, and it's the Scanner Price Act. Uh, Accuracy voluntary code, and I don't want to lead, read the legal mumbo jumbo. It boils down to this: if they participate, if they scan an item, and that item is under ten dollars, and it scans incorrectly, you're entitled to that one item for free. I had no oh, idea wow. that that was a thing. So all you really have to do is ask: Do you participate in the? scanner price uh, accuracy voluntary code sort of practice that and then they'll say yes or no and all the major ones we can make up uh, maybe just just practice the 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 thing and then and then most of the major retailers you know the grocery stores in particular will participate in this thing it would feel like i was trying to scam them if i did that well a lot of people are uncomfortable with even broaching it right and so they count on that a little bit and then if the item's over ten dollars over ten dollars say it's fourteen dollars and it's scanned at 17 they, they owe you 10 bucks off the 14. Yeah, see, this is money that like found money now to me. Hundred percent. I'm going to just is. walk around all these stores and be like, "Are you? Do you subscribe to the uh, consumer protection? What is it? Scanner price <laughs> accuracy <laughs> voluntary price code. accuracy the SPAV the SPAVAC SPAVAC. <laughs> uh, so that's your money. Like I, these are things that is like news you can use if you want to go out. There's going to be a whole host of checkout people today just frustrated with Winnipeggers asking this SPAVAC question. But another thing that was in this report that I am guilty of particularly with food, is that 64% of Canadians have bought a damaged product and they notice that when you get home and they're talking food, like you get home and it's sure. moldy or, and only 50% return the product and then the rest of us throw it out. And so it's still, again, I'd, I I'd never return an item to a grocery store. Yeah, well, I, I would imagine for a lot of people, is it they 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 sort of make that decision. Is okay, it worth it? Is it worth the time? Like, mm-hmm. let's say it's a, th- a four dollar item. Is it worth the time to get back in the car and go back to the store? Depending on where the store is, I, I've t- said it before. I returned a bag of hot dog buns once because I was just it. It wasn't like one of them was bad. Like the the bottom. I didn't look at the bottom of the bag, but the the buns were all moldy. Okay, yeah. So I was just, and it was the one thing I went to get, and I, I really wanted hot dogs. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, I got to go back. And uh, that's when they gave me a hard time. Well, you didn't check? Like, no, I didn't Not check. Not my job to Did you check, check before you put moldy buns on the shelf? Like, yeah. 
And I say, and I also returned a jug of milk once because, I, and it was like right next door to where I lived. There was a drugstore right next to where I lived. I checked the expiry date. It was two weeks out. And I, as soon as I opened it, I could tell the milk was bad. So I took it back. They didn't give me a hard time. I said, mm-hmm. oh, geez, sorry about that. Just go grab another one. But uh, yeah, for a lot of people, it's probably just not worth the time, the hassle to go back. So they just eat that cost. But I bet you that that's, you know, a handful of times a year for folks. I have definitely picked up vegetables and then later discover that it's moldy or bad and I've never returned it. And it's not just once a year, it's several times. I get it. It's inconvenient and it probably costs more to drive back to the store. Likely, yeah. And then you end up buying stuff <laughs> when you go back there that you didn't <laughs> yeah. really need. You escape from the grocery store for under $195. Then you take the raspberries back. And those are the items that we have typically the hardest time with are the berries, raspberries, and uh, strawberries. Oh, the layer. You talk about the bottom in, layer? In partic- yeah. You know, so you don't see them. Uh, you're not going to open up the container, although maybe you should. Maybe you ask a retailer about that. But then you go back and, and oh, yeah, I forgot to get this, this, that, and the other thing. It cost you $1.12 in gas. You got the $4 back for your raspberries, but then you went back and you know spent $25 that you <laughs> hadn't spent before. So sometimes you're just saving yourself from yourself by not going back. Yeah, and, and you know, but this is this is interesting. I had no idea this existed, and we're all looking to to save money. So it's just made something to keep an eye on because sometimes the wrong price does come up, even though the price listed says one thing, and then you get to the till and something else comes up. Like yesterday, I went to the store, I bought margarine and four tomatoes, and it cost me fifteen dollars. Like what? The margarine that I usually buy, which two years ago was three ninety nine. Yes, it's uh, called Canola Harvest in Manitoba. Not yesterday was listed at eight ninety nine. Crazy. And then the tomatoes were five bucks. What are you doing with four tomatoes? That that that's enough to feed a small army. What are you, what are you doing with just four like that. tomatoes? I the big ones, the Roma <laughs> tomatoes, or the vine ones. Which yeah, one I like getting? the I like the vine ones. Mm. Although they had so, the, the 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 hot house tomatoes yesterday were as big as I've ever seen them. They were bigger than softballs. No flavor in those hot house tomatoes. No. no. Just to digress completely off more topic. About, that's more of a bulk thing, right? Like if you need lots of tomatoes, the hot Or like you turn it into salsa because you're adding different flavors right. or something. But it's a vessel, really. The tomato there is like, the vessel for the salt and pepper, right? <laughs> there you go. Like potatoes are the vessel for the gravy. I want to know what you're making with those tomatoes. Salad. Yeah. Sandwiches. Nice. It's Mackling McGarry McNabb. At the end of Global News at 6 yesterday, anchor Lisa Dutton says this. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, but what about a spoonful of beer? A brewery in eastern Germany has developed its new beer in powder form. The goal of the invention is to help reduce the heavy carbon footprint of beer exports. Experts say the beer powder could make water, cans, bottles, and kegs obsolete. So you, you, it's powdered beer. So you put a couple of scoops of this powdered beer in water, and voila, you have beer. I, <laughs> that does not sound particularly appetizing, but if it's something they've been working on, I imagine they wouldn't just put out this a garbage product. But it leads to the question today at 204-780-6868. Have you ever reluctantly tried something and either A, liked it, like you were surprised that you liked it, or B, hated it. Tell us a story for a chance to win tickets to see the Jets on March 31st against the Red Wings. Cameron Poitras, why don't we start with you, sir? Well, I'm going to make uh, all the Kiwis and the uh, Aussies out there upset with this one. I'm not sure many are listening. Uh, but have anybody here ever had Vegemite before? Mm-hmm. 
It stinks. Mm-hmm. It's gross. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they sit around like, I can't believe it. Nobody, I can't believe everybody doesn't love this. <laughs> and it's like, it's terrible. But I think it's one of those things like if you grew up with it, it has like this distinct flavor and smell that if you had it when you were like a very young age, a young kid and you grew up with it, I can understand why you would acquire a taste for it. But as, you know, uh, uh, an average white Canadian, it is Horrible. Well, they don't sell it well in the description. I was just looking it up because I, I know it's vegetable, like a flavor, but it's actually leftover brewer's yeast extract <laughs> yeah. with various vegetable and spice additives. Uh, see, that, that, and then you spread it on your toast in the morning. It sounds like the hot dog of spread. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if, if that's what it is, that's throw it out. That's industrial waste. Get rid of it. <laughs> no, we're going to turn that into a spread. It's, it's bizarre. It actually no. makes sense that you hate it so much now that Loren has qualified <laughs> yeah, what it is. Like, just throw it out. Apparently, it's really good for you. It has all sorts of vitamins. Oh, I'm sure. I, I oh, don't know. But, yeah. That sounds like a, a fallacy. <laughs> Jeff oh. Braun, what about you? Uh, mine's something that's mostly universally loved that I just can't stand, and that's tomatoes. And every five years, I'll try. I'll have a little piece of tomato, and I did this a couple of months ago, and my, my girlfriend gave me some little cherry tomato of some sort, and I, I spit it out, and she was very offended. Was like, How dare you? I was like, I told you I didn't like it. I was not going to swallow. It was just disgusting. What, Can't do it. Is it, like, is it the texture, the flavor? What is the it? The flavor. It's just not appealing to me. Do you like ketchup? Nope. Won't eat ketchup. Oh, okay. Tomato hmm. soup? Nope. Not salsa? In your life. Salsa, uh, salsa uh, I'm okay with, except if there's bits of tomato in there, I pick them up. <laughs> you, hold on, hold on, is. hold on. What kind of salsa are you eating that doesn't have bits of tomatoes in it? You can get that blended one. It usually one. does have bits of tomato, and I usually pick them up. What about spaghetti sauce? Uh, not preferable. I, I'm, a, I'm a butter and pepper kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> You're the child at your partner's table. Like she's Oh yeah. You know, forget the kids, it's you. JB, you go sit at the kids' table. Okay. <laughs> Pass the butter. Jeff Forte, what about you? Well, this past summer, and I love seafood, but this past summer I was at my brother's place and uh he went and got some oysters. It was the first time I had an oyster. Mm. Not a big fan. Like it's just like like what's up with it? it it's I swear it's like you're swallowing a booger. Yeah. <laughs> that is what it's like. And I had three of them. So, like, you know, I, I tried it and went back for another one and tried again. But I was like, eh, yeah, you know what? Like, I'll, I'll pass on the rest of them. You know, it, it, I tried again for sure. But, yeah, it's not something I'd go out of my way and uh, look for. But, yeah, it just it kind of just grossed me out when you just slide it down your throat hole. You had, nailed uh, that yeah. ex- description. It is. I think it is like swallowing a booger yeah. and then I've chewing had, it. Yeah, I've had really good oysters and I've had really, really yeah. bad oh, oysters. Oh, you don't want bad ones because oh. the good ones are bad. We had some, uh, I can't remember what, what was in town, but we had somebody brought in some fresh oysters to the radio station. I think KK set that up for us. And uh, that was my first oyster experience. And it was a good one because they were quality mm-hmm. oysters. But but I was reluctant about the, the experience and the texture, but it was such a unique culinary experience for me that I was like, ah, I got to try this. It sits at the bottom of the ocean, like collecting all the waste of the ocean. It's like it's the it's like pulling something from the bottom of a toilet, and then just <laughs> it's, it's a filter. It's a it's ocean a filter. filter. You know, it's just it is. Disgu- yeah. my my husband and kids love oysters, and the worst part about oysters is the fresh ones are okay. 
in terms of the the scent, but they also like the tinned ones, and it's the all oh, the smoked oils. My the my, smell, oh. like it's like the whole house just stinks. Their breath stinks. Their clothes stink. The oil spills on stuff. It stinks. Blech. My brother and dad used to uh, they they love smoke oysters, and they used to hold me and my brother down and breathe that yes. scent into our yes. face. Oh, jeez, oh, sounds like yes. torture. That's yes. mean. <laughs> that is that is mean. Greg, what about you? Well, I love lobster. I shouldn't be judging oysters because they are you know basically the cockroaches of the sea. And, you know, so uh, I'm not going to judge people that love oysters. But with this this uh, beer thing, you know, Kool-Aid, awesome. Yeah. Tang, awesome. So maybe there's something to this, uh, you know, a couple of teaspoons of this powder and and uh, whipping up some beer. But I've I'd been, try it. For months, I've been looking for an opportunity to thank Cam Poitras for something that I ridiculed him about months ago when he suggested that he loved lightly salted old Dutch ripple chips. And I thought, what on earth are you doing, man? Low sodium ripple, man. That's the ultimate chip. And they are, they are, have become my favorite. Of course. I tried them because you said you tried, I'm like. How bad are these? They're great. And I figured out why, because quite often they seem to be overcooked, like a little bit darker than the, and I love them overcooked. They're great with my hell of a dip. So Cam Poitras, <laughs> thank you for helping me turn over a potato chip leaf. Thank you. Lightly salted. If, if I can get the whole world on lightly salted, <laughs> low sodium, ripple, no name, buck dollar chips, everyone will be happy. <laughs> But right now we want to talk about how a new report says 26% of the world's 26% of the world's population does not have access to safe drinking water and 46% lack access to basic sanitation. So this comes from a document out this week through the United Nations World Water Development and it paints a bleak picture of a looming water crisis. Here's one of the quotes. The world is blindly traveling a dangerous path with, quote, vampiric overconsumption and overdevelopment in part to blame. And so the people behind this report, the people gathering at the United Nations this week to talk water are really urging everyone to stop looking at water as a commodity and start viewing it as a common good. And there's an added plea to look to knowledge, Greg, and solutions of Indigenous people and local communities who really would understand aquatic ecosystems. Yeah, and even in our part of the world where we're blessed with this seemingly endless supply of fresh water, we have water concerns of our own in our own backyard. Our next guests are part of that conversation at the United Nations in New York this week. Let's start with saying good morning to Taylor Galvin, a fourth-year environmental sciences student at the University of Manitoba from Broken Head Ojibwe Nation. Hello, Taylor. Good morning. How are you? We're well. Thanks for making time for us this morning. And Nicole Wilson is Canada Research Chair in Arctic Environmental Change and Governance. Taylor, good morning. Hi, good morning. Oh, yeah, Nicole, pardon me, Nicole. Uh, let's start with you. What message do you hope people hear this week when it comes to water? Um, I mean, I guess, you know, we're here because um, water is critical for all aspects of life. And in particular, we're focusing on the role of Indigenous peoples in achieving sustainable development goal six um, to have clean water and sanitation for all. Um, so that would be kind of my main message, that Indigenous peoples play a key role in achieving that. Now, Taylor, we've heard uh, stark warnings about our water supply but before, but 
vampiric overconsumption. That's really saying something. So do you get the sense that, because that word threw all three of us off this morning. Uh, so do you get the sense that the average Canadian is listening? Um, well, that is a very, uh, a very difficult question to answer, but overconsumption is definitely something that we need to start considering just from basic bottled water to like, in, for instance, like with golf courses and things like that, that are just utilizing fresh water in, in alarming rates. Right. And a lot of this fresh water comes from first nation communities. For example, in Winnipeg, we get our water from show Lake 40. And so we need to be cognizant and very um, aware of what we're doing to these First Nation communities. And I think that's what is very important um, in my message here at the UN Water Conference in New York is to understand the importance of the role that Indigenous peoples need to do when it comes to water protection and that we inherently and we we have this ancient wisdom that we've been that we've been using and passing down from generation to generation on the importance of water protection and as women as water protectors and I think at this conference that's that message we need to do that we need to stop this overconsumption and and how this world water crisis is being affected by things as simple as bottled water. You know, Taylor, you brought up uh, just the, the fact that Winnipeg gets its water from Show Lake First Nation. And I think that's something that people learn every day in the city, that they don't have a sense of where their water comes from. And so knowing the source is one thing, but taking care of it is another. So for you, this is personal, I, I know. And, and as a student, it's become deeply personal. But how do we get that message out? But what should we be doing as communities to make sure we're better taking care of our systems? Well, you know, you you kind of you kind of already said it, and so you say that a lot of people hear that our our water is from Shoal Lake Forty. When I was in high school, when I was in grade school, I never knew that. I was never taught where our water was coming from. This is a very new conversation that's happening, and it's not happening fast enough and well enough. And there needs to be we need to get these government, these high end officials, stopped educating about our knowledge and where this water comes from. We need Indigenous people at the forefront in these leadership roles explaining to people what is happening in our communities without this greenwashing and this beautiful picture that certain organizations and heavy-hitting industries put around water consumption. Nicole, I was driving uh, north on Main Street with one of my boys the other day and he asked what the big construction project was. I said, well, they're expanding the North End Water Treatment Plant. And he's he's 16. He, he pays attention to things. He's, oh, you mean so we don't keep dumping sewage into the Red River? Just like that. And I said, yeah. How for granted have we taken this resource overall? And, and I'll just say concentrate on North America as a whole. Yeah, I think generally we, we've taken water for granted, um, particularly in Canada, where we have this myth of abundance that we just have an endless amount of fresh water. And and we have that because we do have a very large percentage of the world's fresh water. Um, but we need to shift that mindset and we need to um, understand where our water comes from and that it is a finite um, it is a finite aspect of, of the environment and um, we have a relationship to it and we need to understand where it comes from um, and to uh, treat it sustainably. So, um, yes, <laughs> we, we uh, definitely are kind of in overconsumption mode. We don't know where our water comes from and we just let our taps run. Nicole Wilson, Canada Research Chair in Arctic Environmental Change and Governance. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your time.
Thanks so much. And Taylor Galvin, a fourth-year environmental sciences student at the U of M from Broken Head Ojibwe Nation. Thank you for your time as well. We appreciate it. Kishumi question and have a good day. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're asking you this morning about something that you reluctant, like a food or drink that you reluctantly tried, and what were the results? Did you like it or did you hate it? Because the inspiration for this is there's a brewery in Germany that's working on a powdered beer. Would you try a, a powdered beer? I would try it. I I would imagine they wouldn't produce it if it was crap, but uh, it doesn't, that like the idea of it just seems kind of like not tantalizing to me. What does Norin say? Norin says, good morning. Something I was encouraged to try and can't stand. Nori seaweed sheet chips. You get them in bulk from Costco. My kid sits and eats them like potato chips. I think they're disgusting. The most vile thing around. Makes his breath stink worse than anything in this world. And then makes sure I know it. The thing I love, sushi. Bought and made homemade. But these sheet chips, disgusting. Good thing I can say they're just getting too expensive to purchase. Thank you, Nurin. I haven't had those, but I have had some seaweed chips. And I don't mind them. But they don't replace potato chips for me. Yeah, I've always wanted to try them. I know somebody who used to eat them, but I never got my hands on them. And I always forget. And then I sometimes I'll think when I'm in the store, like, oh, yeah, I should look for those. But I never know where to look. And then I just give up and leave. I love that her kid is clearly blowing his stinky breath in her face. There's obviously some sort of uh, rivalry going on there. He's trying to prove some sort of point. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, the nori. For making when you make the when you make the California rolls or something like that, right? It's literally like a sheet of paper, and then you have to dampen it in order to make it pliable. Do you make your own sushi? Do I have made sushi wow. in the past? Oh boy! But uh, yeah, California rolls uh, those those are fun fun to make. Can't do it without the nori though. You must have the nori. Sushi is a thing that I reluctantly tried and and enjoyed. Now I really like it. Although I uh, to be fair, I, I I'm like more of the vanilla. Sushi variety. I like, mm-hmm. what What would be your uh, go-to? Uh, well, you mentioned Chicken. the California. California. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. hey, there's a reason why it's the most popular. The, the traditional, I think I've tried the, yeah, that's it. I tried the traditional once, and again, it was more of a texture thing. I don't think I, the flavor was okay, but the texture was kind of weird. I just can't get my head around the raw tuna. Just can't do it. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, I think that's what sort of did it for me there, that where I thought, well, I'll try this. I didn't, once I learned that there were all kinds of different sort of sushis, that's when I was like, okay, let's go. I can eat, like, just give me a bucket. You can just soy sushi. sauce it up, just soak it in soy and mask anything else. Yeah, wasabi. That's true. Oh, wasabi. That's one thing I have not tried and I'm oh, scared to it. try it. But do you it. like spicy well, stuff? Uh, not, it's not really. It's not spicy. This isn't spicy. Wasabi, wasabi? It's not, not spicy in your mouth. It does the, it does the, Opposite of a brain freeze. It, yeah, get, that, it gives that. you that. Oh, I love it. Oh, like right <laughs> up into the nostrils, like clears it out. Hot mustard and wasabi. It's like, it's like a hot damn kind of thing. Yeah, the hot mustard. The first time I had the hot mustard and it, the the head, the pain I felt was like, what? Oh, my God, what's happening? This is so tasty, but oh, it hurts so much. I don't know what, fe- what to feel. We looked this up. There's a, a, a like a love-hate thing that people have with that. It's almost like a, a little bit of a rush. Yeah, if you like it, great. Enjoy it. I Fill your it. boots. I love it. I was going to make an analogy, but I'll probably, I'm just going to keep it to myself with regards to pain and pleasure. Let's uh, just take it out of there.
question of the day at cjob.com. On this World Water Day, a United Nations report describes our water consumption as vampiric. Do you watch how much water you consume at home? Your options are yes for the environment, yes to save money, yes to both, or no. Cast your vote at cjob.com. For Mr. Furnace, don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. The price of oil today is hovering around $70 U.S. a barrel. Over the last week, it logged its biggest weekly drop of 2023. But of course, at the pump, the price of gas remains relatively stagnant. And, you know, with spring break around the corner, we were thinking a lot of people might be hitting the road Friday, Friday afternoon, Friday night, and wondering if there's any relief coming. Roger McKnight is the Chief Petroleum Analyst with NPRO International and joins us now. Good morning, Roger. Good morning to you all. Let's talk about that price of oil. I, I know just because it comes down doesn't mean the price at the pump comes down. I get that. But is there a possibility that we'll see some relief there given where it sits right now? Or do we expect it to bounce right back up? I think it's, it's, it's a, everybody's taking a wait-and-see wait and attitude right now. Uh, all the speculators on Wall Street and the traders worldwide, there's, sort of, there's many other factors going into the price of, at the pump uh, versus the, the cost of crude. Crude oil is... Uh, inventory. Let's look at supply and demand. Crude, crude oil inventories are increasing. They're seven percent above the five-year average in the U.S. Uh, but that's mainly because uh, the, the demand for crude is uh, is dropped off because this is a the semi-annual maintenance period for the refineries as they get ready for the driving season. So they don't really require as much crude as as as, as normal. So prices of uh, of crude have fallen, and there are other factors going into the price of crude too. See, prices in Western Canada tend to follow the price of crude. So let's look at that. Eastern Canada, they follow other markers on on, on Wall Street, but the factors going into the price of crude right now is. Uh, is up in the air. It's really a lot of the geopolitics. Will the demand uh, come back from China, the world's largest consumer of, of crude and refined products? Are they going to come off their their COVID uh, restrictions uh, radically? If that happens, then prices uh, will demand will go up and prices will go up. Right now, the, every, the, I think the consumer is looking at inflation and recession, the two animals in the closet. Uh, you know, they don't know which way that is going. Inflation is eating into the, the t- uh, take-home pay, so that's discouraging demand. And uh, at a recession, uh, the economy is, uh, is it going to come back? Or is it, are interest rates going to stay stable? Are they going to go up, down? Uh, consumers are rather confused, so demand is sort of flat in, in the, when it comes to gasoline. Then we have the mis- mysteries of the banking situation. Is that going to be corrected by whoever? So uh, Everything's up in the air. Uh, as far as I can see it, it looks like the consumer is, uh, is backing off on any major major trips or any major expenditures. So demand for gasoline is pretty well flat. And this is coming up into the, into the driving season, as, as we so call it. Roger, we've been speaking to you on this front for two or three years now, and you've become our go-to, and and you often point the point at the speculation, and it feels like it's become frustrating in the in the sense that the last summer uh, crude oil uh, WTI was up around one hundred twenty-one dollars a barrel, but at that time the Canadian dollar was in the higher seventy cent range. Well, now. We've got, you know, today around $70 a barrel, but the Canadian dollar is just over 70 cents, you know, around 72, 73 cents. But once again, that correlation that we seem to just about be able to count on seems to have disappeared. 
Yes, it has. It's it's gone uh, right out the window. There's there's uh, there's no they're they're all subject subjective factors coming to the price of crude, not objective. And by objective, I mean the the, the straightforward supply and demand uh, guarantee uh, figures that we get from the United States at EIA uh, government uh, division. That that's that's the holy grail of of data insofar as any any uh, forecaster in the world is concerned, and that. I look at that and I just see, well, uh, demand is pretty well flat. I, uh, the other things that bother me are you, you can't rely on supply and demand numbers. It's inflation, recession, it's a banking situation, and whatever's going to happen with demand from, from China. Those are, the, those are the four factors now, not supply and demand. It's uh, Brett McGarry here, Roger. And, you know, when the price of so the price of oil is down, but the price of gas not really going down. But when the price of oil goes up, and we often have listeners point, point this out, and I, I seem to notice it as well, but maybe it's just perception, or maybe I've, my perception is wrong. But when the price of oil goes up, the price of gas always seems to go up uh, almost in lockstep. Is, 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 am I correct in perceiving it that way? I, th- I think you're correct. As I said before, west of Thunder Bay, uh, prices of, uh, in, in Western Canada tend to the fall of the price of crude. As the price of crude goes up, the feed, that increases the feedstock uh, price for the refiners, and they, uh, they increase the price accordingly. Um, I'm not, an, I'm not a, a, a flag waver for the oil industry. I'm a, a, I'm a flag waver, a white flag waver for the, uh, for the consumer. So if, they, if the price goes up, for, for gas, if the price of gas goes up and the price of oil goes up, why does the price of gas not go down when the price of oil goes down? I don't know. We've sort of talked about it, but but it, you know, like if it goes up when the price of oil goes up, it seems like it should be the other way around too. No. Yeah, well, that that's not the way it happens. <laughs> it's called the refining margin and the the, the retailer margin, uh, the, the the retail pump margin, and there's nothing we can do about that. Well, I don't like that answer. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty behind it, but uh, I think, you know, there's always that expectation as a consumer, then what can you do? If you say the demand is down, are we responding actually just by driving less? And should that not have some influence? No, we're sort of joined at the hip when it comes to the pump and the economy and the consumer attitude. The higher the price goes, it doesn't really seem to intimidate the consumer whatsoever. It's uh, it's just a, f- a fact of economic life that you have to be able to drive to get from from your house to the store and get back again. Okay, one more for you, and I don't want this to overcomplicate uh, things, Roger. But you know, you talk about the banking situation in the United States. Investors like safe havens could, you know, j- how long ago was it that uh, the oil producers were paying people to take the stuff off their hands? Could oil be seen as a safe haven for investors? I think uh, uh, my, my answer to that question, and I think what, what you're getting to is, where is the price of crude going to, going to be for the balance of the year? Am I correct in saying that? Or, yes, and, and, and could that be an influencer? Yeah, I, 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 see, I, can see, I can see OPEC saying, look, this, is getting, this price of crude thing is getting a little bit too low for us. We're going to have to cut back production and get prices up where we feel we're, we're more comfortable. And I think what you're going to see uh, for the, uh, by the end of the year or throughout the end of the year, you're going to go, it's going to end up between 77 and and $100 a barrel, which would uh, increase prices at the pump by $0.18 cents a litre uh, uh, by the end of the year. Roger McKnight is the Chief Petroleum Analyst <laughs> with NPRO International. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always.
You're very welcome. Take care now. Feel free to respond and weigh in at 204-780-6868. Doesn't matter how much you know about what's impacting this. The point is it's completely out of our control, it would seem. And we're at the mercy of these of these oil and gas companies. And it's it's frustrating. The only power we have, Loren, is what you pointed out. Well, I'm just going to drive less. But I'm what, not going to go on my summer vacation. It, it doesn't change the result, though. And Richard texted to say, I know the answer to this segment. The price is never going down because, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, everything has gotten more expensive. It's never going down again. And it's hard because there are reasons behind it. Uh, we just don't like them. And I, I, we just had a chat in our house yesterday. Have you seen what we're spending on gas this month? And it's, it's outrageous. And I don't know what to do, but I have to drive to work. Yeah. <laughs> It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Last chance to get in on the contest for the Jets tickets. We're asking you about food or drink that you were reluctant to try. Did you end up liking it or did you end up hating it? Like Wes, who says Italian hot peppers. I had a job at Pasquale's on Osborne. In 1981, Pasquale made a bun full of them. He ate one and then asked me if I want, would try one. So I had he gave me one. One pepper, and my mouth was burning for an hour. So I guess no peppers for you. Do you remember Pasquale? Like, was it? Are we talking about the Pasquale's? That's in St. That's Boniface. In St. Boniface now. I'm trying to rack my brain. I don't remember it being on Osborne, but I'm not going to question our our listener unless it was a, unless it was a different Pasquale's, perhaps. Maybe, and maybe they just moved, or they had multiple locations. Let's let's find out. Let's solve. The Pasquale's mystery. Okay, so last chance. We're going to pick a winner for those te- for those tickets in our next segment. Right now, we want to talk about how flood forecasters say right now, due to recent snowstorms in North Dakota, the flood risk has increased to major on the Red River. So we'll get more from forecasters in an update later this morning. But right now, we want to go to two communities who are always this time of year, you know, watching, waiting, and sometimes working to prevent any possible flooding. With us is Jolene Bird, CAO of the RM of Montcalm. Good morning, Jolene. Good morning. And of course, Scott. Oh, thanks for taking the time. And Scott Crick, Mayor of Morris. Hi, Scott. Good morning, guys. How are you today? I'm good. I'm hoping we're not going to be talking to you as much this spring as we did last spring, but I suppose you never know with the way things are being talked about right now. So, Jolene, let's start with your community. You're south of Morris, south Mm -hmm. of St. Jean-Baptiste. Of course, you're on the red, and the concern is all the snow that came in North Dakota this winter, of course, has to come our way. So what's just the talk around town with flood questions there? Yeah, so here we we don't have a huge amount of snow here, but yeah, it's the concern of what's to the south of us. Fargo got another six inches last night, so we are definitely watching the weather very closely and and hoping these systems uh, stop coming through Grand Forks and Fargo because the water all has to come here eventually. Scott, uh, as Loren mentioned, we, we spoke to you so often last year and we love speaking with you, but not necessarily about the flooding. How, how concerned are you about what Jolene just mentioned? The fact that Fargo got another dump of snow yesterday and yeah, here in Winnipeg, we can be sort of naive. Oh, we don't have that much of an accumulation of snow, but south of the border, south of the line, as some of us say, it's a much different story. Well, uh, and and first of all, yes, uh, as much as I do enjoy chatting with you, you nice people, um, the less we talk this year, obviously, the better. 
Um, and just to also uh, interject on your previous article, um, Pasquale's did used to be at the corner of Osborne and, and River. <laughs> Thank I you. Of, I certainly spent a lot of time in there in my, my younger days. Uh, but that being said, uh, one of the biggest challenges I always have with these early predictions, and, and I know we've discussed this in the past, is there are so many variables that go into how much water does eventually make its way into the river and its timing. Uh, there's the amount of moisture that's in the snow. There is the speed of the melt. There's the ability for the ground to absorb the water and whether it thaws in time, um, and generally the speed of the melt. And even as, as we saw last year, if we hadn't received those late uh, fall or I guess mid-fall or sorry, mid-spring storms that came through, we actually had dodged a bullet in what looked to be uh, fairly negative conditions. So I think the challenge at this time is it's good to be aware. Uh, it's good to understand that there may be a challenge uh, this year, but that we can't really, you know, pull the, uh, I'll say pull the panic switch until at least another month or month and a half has progressed and, and we get a better feel for what's happening in terms of uh, the way spring is coming in. Yeah, a lot can happen in the next couple of weeks, the next six weeks or so. So Jolene, as we we wait to see what might come, how much is still being done in your community in the RM of Montcalm to clean up what what did fall last year in terms of the water that spread kilometers on each side of the red and each side of 75? Yeah, so last year we had uh, nearly 300 damage sites, so road uh, road damage. So, and we're not nearly done repairing that. We still have between 10 and 15 million dollars worth of damage out there that hasn't been been fixed. So, this incoming event hopefully doesn't do very much damage, and that we can continue with our recovery from last year. So, this spring so far, though, we're opening up our ditches and our drains, um, getting ready for the water to start flowing. And, and then also preparing, you know, going through all of our stuff from last year and just making sure everything is up to date and ready to go should we have to, you know, start making some major decisions. But hopefully we don't get to that point. And Scott, what about uh, your community? Is it a similar situation where there's ongoing work that uh, could be potentially halted, halted or hampered? Well, I, I think that... Um we are running into the same issue we had last year, which is the raising of Highway 75 and the completion of the dike to protect it to um, I-29 levels was not completed last year. I know we've been in contact with uh, highways. Um, they are attempting to get the work completed this year, but it looks like it won't be in time. So for us, the, the major concern, again, is ensuring that if the water comes up and it is mitigatable, that we can keep that highway open. Otherwise, it has a uh, a disastrous effect on our, our local economy. Scott, I'll ask you this first, and then Jolene, if you want to jump in quickly before we let you go. Has this just, you know, some of us might be listening, including myself, you sound kind of casual about this. Is it just that you've gotten so good, like the systems that you have in place? Okay, if the water gets to this point, then we implement this program or plan. And then when it gets to this level, have you just become so good at dealing with this, Scott? Well, there, there, there's two kind of wrinkles to this. And, and the first one is, yes, I think that um, every year it seems we have uh, the, the alarm bells raised that, oh, no, we're going to have flooding. And I think for anybody who's lived in the valley for a long time, they understand uh, as, as much as I tried to, to, to enunciate earlier, um, things will unfold as they will unfold. And this is way too early in the year to start pulling the panic switch. Uh, will there be uh, things that need to be mobilized if we do uh, get closer or it looks more probable? 
Absolutely, but uh, there's no use getting excited till that point. Uh, I think a secondary thing, which has been a challenge from last year, um, and I know our municipality is not unique with this, is the province did change the way that the disaster financial assistance claims were handled. And I know this has been a problem for a lot of municipalities because the funds have not been flowing in an appropriate manner. And although this only somewhat affects our municipality, I know others, um, this is a severe financial strain because if another flood does happen, yet last year's DFA claims are not resolved, it could create some very large financial issues. Scott Crick, Mayor Morris, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate the time. Always happy to chat with you folks. And Jolene Bird, CAO of the RM of Montcalm, same to you. Thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you so much. Take care. And hopefully, hopefully we won't be speaking with them too much over the next few weeks. I love them both. They're great people. Jolene's an avid listener. They text me regularly, but I hated the number of times last year, you know, 5 a.m. Hey, how's it going? And you know, it's not good, right? It's hard. <laughs> Mackling McGarry McNabb, the food, the drink that you were reluctant to try, how did it turn out? Did you hate it or did it become something you love? Like Tony, one of our runners up for the Jets tickets and it's up your alley here, Loren, because Tony says, when I was younger, I hated pierogies. But finally, my, one day my mom put one on a fork and chased me around the house. She got me and held me down and forced me to eat one. Now being in my 50s and overweight, pierogies <laughs> are part of my problem. Yeah, I love pierogies. But I will say I love them with all the extras on them. The same way we were talking about escargot and butter and garlic. I mean, the pierogies, once you put in the onion, the sour cream, green onion, maybe some bacon. Keep going. I don't know. What else do you want to put on it? I don't know. My, my, my pierogi gravy with the mushroom soup and the oh. mixture. and the, Yeah, but yeah, I love it all. Paul uh, was essentially de- de- sort of denying himself joy. Paul says, when I was 10, my parents ordered me meat lovers dominoes. Until then, I only ate cheese pizza. I was stubborn, and I pretended to hate it, secretly loving it. <laughs> and it took me Why, years to accept the meaty ways on Za. So even though, even after eating it, Yep. And enjoying it, he was too stubborn to order anything but cheese. So he says, I was stubborn to myself, but now cheese only is too bland for mm-hmm. me. Uh, and I think kids, every kid in the world starts with cheese pizza and it takes them forever to grow out of that phase. And so you're always ordering. Just, cheese pizza is good if it's a really amazing cheese and you've got this great sauce and... Greg's just hit the phone and, you know, those kinds of things. But I'm censoring you what you're saying right now. Because <laughs> you just want the cheese pizza? <laughs> Give me cheese pizza pepperoni pizza but what drives me crazy is the kids will like something one day and then next week you're making them this supper and oh i don't like that i, I just gave this to you last week <laughs> yeah i don't like it anymore <laughs> what's changed you know what what was so dramatic in the yeah. last seven days that your palate has uh, yeah, adjusted yeah. so fill rapidly. in the online survey i'll see if i can satisfy your dietary needs from that we had one cauliflower story this morning our winner is another cauliflower story this from peter s who says when i was very young my older brother brought out a full head of cauliflower his hands covered in ketchup which he told me was blood he then told me that cauliflower is the brain <laughs> of a flower <laughs> That has blood and a brain, kind of like the Venus flytrap flower. <laughs> so from that point on, I would not eat or even look at cauliflower. And when my mom would add a cheese sauce to try and make it tastier, my brother would lean over and whisper <laughs> that it was leaking stuff. Come on. So That's to so this great. day, every time I see cauliflower, I immediately think of a brain. Big brothers, gotta love them. It looks 
like a brain, no? Yeah. Cauliflower? Oh, that's yeah. accurate. Now that you say that, yeah, yeah for it's sure. an apt description, no doubt. My Grammy used to call them potato cousins in an effort to get me to eat the, the cauliflower. It's like, Grammy, I, I see through this. <laughs> like, like They're in the same family, Greg. They like each other. They hang sure. out. They come from the same home. Mm-hmm. It's a potato cousin. Mm-hmm. Get on in. <laughs> Peter, congratulations. Going to the Jets game on March 31st against the Red Wings. Enjoy the game. On this World Water Day, a United Nations report describes our water consumption as vampiric. Do you watch how much water you consume at home? And so far at CJOB.com, we got 32% who say yes to save money, 6% say yes for the environment, 23% say yes to both, and 38% say no. Cast your vote at CJOB.com. And Loren, earlier at 7.05, we had a couple of people on teeing up what they're about to discuss in New York at the UN. Yeah, they're talking at a water conference there. Hal's going to have an, another Manitoban who's speaking at this conference join him just after 10. And they have a variety of messages, one of them being that we have to stop treating water like a commodity and more like a common good, a right that everyone should have. And so we know there's, I think it's 32 First Nations communities in this country still are in long-term water advisories. So they've been under boil water advisories for years, sometimes decades. And then even here at home, you know, we do things... Perhaps without thinking when it comes to water. What would you guess? I'm just on the City of Winnipeg utility website now. What do you think accounts for the largest amount of water consumption in your home or apartment? Shower? For me, it's a shower. For yeah. you, it's the shower. Yeah, because I uh, I will, uh, if I'm doing dishes, like I'm, I'll, I'll turn the water on when I need it, and then I'll turn it off. Like I don't just leave the water running. Uh, if I'm brushing my teeth, I won't just leave the water running like I used to when I was a kid and... Wasn't thinking about things like that. But the shower, I admit, I will take 10, 15, even 20 minutes in the shower because I shower in the morning and that's my last moment to relax. Sure. It's sort of turning off the tap. It's almost like it's the symbol that <sighs> it's time go. to go to work. <laughs> so I, I keep thinking, okay, you, you know you're already 10 minutes behind McGarry. <laughs> Get out of the shower. And then I sit, stand there for another five minutes. Well, I have two teenage boys they sometimes shower at the same time in the morning, but I have friends who have installed a second hot water tank wow. because of the length of showers their kids take. Oh wow! And I was, I was like, oh, you mean as opposed to just having them take shorter showers? But that's not uh, what they decided to do. I'm not judging them for it, for it. I think it's great if you can uh, justify the cost and it works for you. No problem. Now, what are what are the options? So. You, you know, anything from toilet to clothes washer to washing the dishes, baths, leaks, faucets. So the, the toilet is the number one. Well, yeah. Is that what you were going to guess? So, well, I was I was thinking toilet or dishes, but I just wanted to know what the options were. No, toilets, 24 accounts. This is on an average home. Of it would average, depend yeah, on of what course. kind of home you have, yep. how many kids, blah, yep. blah, blah. But toilets is 24% of water consumption. Yes. Showers is 19%. Okay, so clothes. Faucets, 19%. Clothes, 16%. Your dishwashing is only 1%, it says, which I'm surprised by. I felt like, oh, wow. I thought if I was using my dishwasher, I was doing a disservice to, but I, I, I guess I'm wrong. And then the other thing that stands out is leaks. Like leaks can account for a huge amount of water escaping from your home unnecessarily and part of your water bill. And you think it's a slow drip. Yeah. It adds up very quickly. I had a water bill in Minnedosa 
one year that was, well, one quarter, it was about Let's four. just blame Winnipeg right now, okay? I'm Not Minnedosa. Look, look, we have to spread the blame here, Loren. And, uh, you know, it was my tenant had a leaky toilet. And instead of a 300 or $350 water bill, it was over a thousand mm. bucks. Whoa. And I was like, where is this coming from? So I had to do an investigation and sure enough. And this guy was like a research scientist who was living in Minnedosa and doing this work. I go, dude, did you hear the toilet running? <laughs> he said, oh, I thought that's, that's, uh, thought it was how it was always supposed to sound. No. Next time, if you hear it running and the bowl or the, not the bowl, but the tank is sweating, that means it's leaking. So please <laughs> let me know henceforth. Yeah. My dad, Smash Gordon, he recently had a, a just a tiny leak, like a, the imperceptible. Um, but he, when he, he finally figured it out and then when he got his water bill, he, he said it cost him, I, I can't remember the number, but it was a couple hundred bucks extra. Uh, so he got that fixed immediately once he realized what was going on. Because sure. you might think, ah, whatever, it's just a small, slow drip or whatever. But apparently, it adds up fast. And see, that's another thing because because I'm in an apartment, I don't mm-hmm. I don't get a water bill. So these are sort of things that I have kind of stopped thinking about. It's like I because I was such a bad homeowner, is the things I don't want to think about. But maybe I should at least keep that in mind when I'm standing in the shower for 20 minutes. Well, we were asking the question: Is it cost? that drives those decisions in terms of how you use water in your home or is it the environment? And I feel like it's kind of like gasoline in the sense of you, you might, you might not change your behavior and start, until it starts costing you. Until it hurts a little until bit. Until it hurts a little bit. Right. And I had said in our house, the water bill seems to be, you know, manageable. And you had referenced that yours is growing maybe daily, maybe because of how your, your kids are growing. And I that don't kind think of there's any too. doubt about We're that. We're getting into that phase where the kids are very much wanting to, you know, showers is a regular thing versus when they're little and it's bath time and baths. Yeah. I always thought were would be worse for some reason because it feels like counterintuitive that you're filling this whole bath up with water. Yeah. But baths only count for three percent of water consumption. In oh, homes. but that might be because just less more, case, more people, people shower. More, I think. Like, more, I, I'd like to know which one actually uses more water. My I think a bath and, does. Does it? I think it does. Uh, more efficient to you know, and and the dishwasher the the. The marketers of the dishwashing detergent are doing a great job of convincing people right now that it's cheaper to run your dishwasher than to fill your sink and wash your dishes by hand. And so they're telling you even a half load, they'll say, saves water. I I would like somebody to show me those numbers, but maybe based on what you're seeing there, that that might be legitimate because I've been falling for it. One of the comments that came up in our conversation at 705 was golf courses. Mm. And that that and as soon as they said that, I thought, oh boy, yeah. Because on one hand, you want the golf course to be beautiful and green. It's a you know, for for a guy like me who plays golf all summer long, spring, summer, fall, it's a quality of life thing for me. But in the context of is are we should that water be going to something more important? It's kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. And uh, I understand, Greg, that is it Southwest United States? California in particular, uh, according to what I'm looking at, uh, cvwd.org, it's the official website of the Coachella Valley Water District, which includes Palm Springs. Uh, They say 9% of all California's water is used to water golf courses. 9%? 9%. And then Las Vegas, of course, 
without water, Las Vegas is nothing. They don't have the electricity without the, you know, without the, uh, the dam there. So the Hoover dam. Yep. And, uh, but in, in Las Vegas, they say, um, these harsh restrictions, they have restrictions, right? With with regard to use to water your lawn and they incentivize you to get rid of your grass in Vegas. You can get a tax credit if you get rid of your grass and, and go to something that you don't have to water or cut mm-hmm. or anything. And so they've got these restrictions and homeowners make people question why there are so many lush golf courses in the Las Vegas Valley. The answer is the courses are irrigated by reclaimed water and not potable drinking water. So depending on where you are, the answer to that question of, are they using drinking water to water the golf course? Can be very different. Well, Richard's raising the question now about car washes. We all like, to, like, he's not saying we shouldn't wash our car, but is the water from there clean drinking water? Like you want it to be cleanish because you're cleaning your car, but could you have the option to do the rinse and the foaming and all the rest with like recycled water from a, from, like, from say a storm the, drain or whatever? Or the and the car then, wash itself? And then the rinse, sure, right. It could be yeah. everybody's water just gets recycled through. I don't know. I don't know the question. Somebody might be in the car wash yeah, community. I don't, you know, I don't but, know. I have a guess, but I'm not going to, you know, I don't know. So I'm not going to say. But the whole idea, even of car washes, uh, in California, as you guys know, I go to California once in a while and like there are <laughs> neighbors really watch one another. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you've got sprinklers that are set and, and you do it on the wrong day, some communities say that it's odd day for odd numbered houses and even days on the calendar for even numbered houses. There's different ways that they do it. But even something simple like spraying down your driveway with the hose, you don't do that. You do not do that because the water police, as I've been told, will show up. If you want to clean your driveway, you sweep it with a broom. Hmm. We're in here in Winnipeg. People have no problem standing and and uh, cleaning the dirt off their driveway. Not everybody, but lots of people have no problem your doing that. Your garage floor, you might do a spray out. Your, Absolutely. The, the outside of your house, you might just yep. get rid of some of the dirt on it, even though you don't need to. Yeah. It's just aesthetic. So it's all aesthetic for us. A lot of it is, for sure. 204-780-6868 if you want to weigh in on this. And once again, Hal is going to have someone on his show. We'll get details on that. Right after we check your forecast, go ahead, Loren. You would be the only person who would consume more water in a shower than a bath because the average shower, five minutes, <laughs> is 10 to 25 gallons and the tub is 70 gallons. But if you're doing your 20-minute shower, yeah. you are the exception You to might as that. well have a bath, You might as well have a bath, You're a filthy animal. <laughs> if I could fit in the tub, I haven't taken a bath since I was seven years old. I Serious? I can't fit no. to the bathtub. And he would look ridiculous in a tub. Just I would knees need, up. I would need one of those like old-timey claw bathtubs. A quarter of your body would get clean. You'd be like, well, today I'm doing the lower third. Yeah. And tomorrow I'll stand in my head and do the upper third. I'd have to roll around in it like a crocodile <laughs> <laughs> going into its death roll. Gotta check your forecast next on the start.